From the heart of the Midwest in Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to One More Cold Call, an Indiana University Maurer School of Law alumni podcast. Each week, over a casual cup of coffee, Dean Parrish meets with accomplished alumni from around the world and from all walks of life. Over a season of episodes, we hear from law school alumni who have unique stories to tell about the unfolding of their professional lives and the lessons they've learned along the way. We start each podcast off with a little bit of Indiana University Maurer School of Law trivia and history. Our students come from all over the U.S. and the world. Each year, we usually have 30 states, three to five countries, and over 100 undergraduate institutions represented in an incoming JD class. At any given time, we have students in our JD, LLM, PhD, and SJT programs from between 25 and 30 countries. Each year, students sit for 30 different bar exams. While 60 to 75 students will remain in Indiana, and then maybe 40 students will head to Illinois, we'll then have students begin their careers in Washington, D.C., New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. And over time, Ohio has often been our third most common area where our graduates begin their careers. Now you know. Today, talking about Ohio, I get to welcome a power couple, Gina brickley Barreto and Ciparato, who are both graduates of the class of 1999 and come to us from Cleveland, Ohio. It's a week of Cleveland this season of the podcast. Just last Friday, I had the privilege of interviewing Colleen Cotter from the Legal Aid Society of Cleveland. Gina and Sip have been had tremendous careers. Gina is the Executive Vice President, General Counsel, and Corporate Secretary at Owens Corning, a Fortune 500 company with more than 19,000 employees. Prior to joining Owens Corning, Gina was General Counsel at Nordstrom, Nordson Corporation, and before that, Chief of Litigation for American Greetings. She began her legal career as a litigation associate at Baker Hostetler. Gina is active in her community. She served on boards for Playhouse Square for the Legal Aid Society of Cleveland and chaired the American Heart Association's STEM Goes Red for Girls. In 2017, she founded, co-founded Spark, an organization that provides hand-on STEM activities and successful female STEM role models to underrepresented girls in the Cleveland Metropolitan and Lorain County School Districts. In 2019, she was recognized as woman of note by Crane's Cleveland Business. And that same year, she was recognized by Chambers Diversity Inclusion as a Gender Diversity Lawyer of the Year. Sip has also had a tremendous career. He is the America's Chair of the Corporate Practice and a member of a 12-person global board of Squire Patton Boggs, an international law firm with 45 offices in 20 countries and one of the 30 largest law firms in the world. SIP specializes in mergers and acquisitions, securities and corporate finance transactions, and a range of corporate governance and general business matters. SIP has been listed in the Best Lawyers in America since 2011, the Legal 500 U.S. for his expertise in M&A, and an Ohio Super Lawyer since 2011. SIP was also selected by Crane's Cleveland Business 40 Under 40. He's a member of the National Asian Pacific American Bar Association, the American Bar Association, and is a graduate of Leadership Cleveland, class of 2014. He's also a member of the board of directors of the Diversity Center of Northeast Ohio, the Achievement Center for Children, and the Cleveland Leadership Center. During law school, Gina was a member of the Sherman Minton Moot Court Executive Board, the ABA Law Student Division, Phi Alpha Delta, and the Sports and Entertainment Law Society. Sib was a member and an associate editor of the Federal Communications Law Journal. And if the archives are right, it looks like Sip, you were impressive on the golf course, winning an award at the annual law school golf competition. Wow, I'm exhausted. What the hell have I been doing with my life? You guys have been busy. Uh, that's that's amazing. So, Seth, Gina, so great to see you. I know you're both busy, and so it's uh, so. Thank you for joining the podcast today. One more cold call. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, we're delighted to be here. That's an incredibly overly generous uh, 
um, introduction and, and thank you. A little bit of it is actually correct as it relates to, to me, but a lot of things are are maybe uh, are maybe a slight a slight uh, exaggerated. But no, well, it's all that, good to be here. Well, said so we can't keep the listeners hanging. You did win that golf competition. I I pretty much saw you won the the, the best uh, par three, uh, whatever it was, <laughs> shot. Am I right? I, I have never been described as impressive on the golf course. And that day is no exception that, that I hit a shot that never got 10 feet off the ground. It hit a tree and a root, and then it rolled within two inches of the, of the, of the cup, full disclosure. That's the piece of that bio that's uh, exaggerated, but I'm glad it's in the annals of uh, IU history now, law school history. And, and I appreciate you uh, uh, breaking <laughs> it back up now. Yeah. It's in the archives. It's in the archives. Well, look, it's so nice to have both of you on the show and you know, maybe we can start off at the beginning. Uh, uh, you know, Gina, you went to undergraduate at St. Louis university SIP. You played football at Miami university. What brought you both to Bloomington and to Indiana university's Maurer school of law. Uh, Gina, can I start with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from Kentucky and I like to stay in the Midwest. So I went to St. Louis, uh, and Indiana has a great reputation for the law school, top tier law school, close to home, beautiful campus, uh, really ticked off all those things that I was looking for in a in a law school. Um, I really liked that it was in a public university setting, so 40,000 undergraduate students, but the law school itself was relatively small. So that was going to give me a really nice balance of experiences. And then, of course, the the professors, which, you know, they're, they're outstanding at IU. Is there somebody you remember particularly from your time here? Uh, Professor Shornhorst was one of my favorites. Um so I'll, I'll stick with Professor Shornhorst. Yeah, I, I loved his classes. Yeah, he was a real, he's, he's, he was a character and he was really well known. Seth, how about yourself? What brought you to IU? For me, actually, you mentioned football. Football played a part. Uh, the first time that I came to Bloomington was as a member of the Miami football team. We played Indiana in 1992. Um, that didn't go really well for, for us. Uh, Indiana at the time was was pretty good. And, and Trent Green, who went on to be a Pro Bowl quarterback and win the Super Bowl, was was the quarterback for Indiana at the time. Um, but I, I do remember the campus. Uh, the person who was coaching the Indiana football team at the time was uh, Bill Mallory. And Bill Mallory is a Miami grad who was very involved in our program, even as he was coaching Indiana and was always singing the praises of IU and Bloomington. And so that was um, something that was in my head when I was then at graduated from undergrad and looking at law schools. And then having made the application, gotten into IU, came to visit. And as, as Gina described, um, you know, I, I felt immediately comfortable. I was in, I remember being in the law school library and just, just feeling comfortable and seeing professors approachable and interacting with students. And it, it just felt, felt right from the moment that I, I set foot on campus. Yeah, you know, I hear that from so many alums, and it certainly was my own experience when I moved from L.A. It was just sort of the warmth of the community. I have to say, Sip, though, I'm pleased. Many alums say they came to the law school in part because there was basketball. It's rare that we have somebody that came because of the football program, and that's always good to hear. So, uh, you know, I'm probably making an assumption, but uh, did the two of you meet in law school? We did. So we met our first semester. We were in different cohorts, but... Uh, during the social event called the Bar Review, we met at one of the local bars. I think it was Kilroy's on Kirkwood Sip. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it was. We, uh, Sip bought a pitcher of beer and I promised him that I would buy the next one. So we had to follow up later and make sure that happened. Um, over the semester, we became good friends and we didn't start dating until December and the rest is history. Anything you want to add, honey? No, that's that's the actual version of the meeting story. Normally, we tell the kids and, and family we the meeting wasn't didn't happen actually in a in a bar, but it was a 
it was a quieter earlier time at the bar. So I guess that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> now that earlier got- meaning 1am. I mean, early in that day, but yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, now that you've got kids in college, you, you don't want to be telling them about Kilroy's. I, that's, I, I was usually at the library studying most of the time and Gina came and dragged me out of there. So that's the right, way I remember right. the story. No, that's my that's story and I'm sticking all. to it. No, well, I, you'll have to call one of our, a couple of our friends. I, I was saying to Gina before we went live that I met my wife in law school too. And, and uh, I think we've done the similar thing. Um, I'm fairly tall, almost six, four, and she's, uh, she's five ish on a five foot one on a good day. And so I, I've spun a tale that she saw me across, across a crowded room and love <laughs> at first sight. That's, that has no connection to reality, but it served me well over the last, uh, last few decades. I'm good sure story, it's true. Right? It's a good story. Yeah. Well, it's amazing how many uh, couples have actually met uh, during law school in Bloomington. And I, I think it also sort of speaks a little bit to the, the close community we have and, and, and what a great group it is. You guys had an amazing class. When you look back at, at class of 1999, I, I was looking over the graduates and there's just there's so many people who, who've done well and, and, and have been incredibly successful. Um, you know, we mentioned Professor Schornhorst, but are there classmates of yours that you, that you remember or, or things about your experience here in the law school or Bloomington that stands out during your three years? Oh, gosh. Sip, do you want to go So, first? yeah, I'm going to go first. And I'll give a shout out to some friends of mine. We had a, I had a, I mean, we both had a really great group of friends. It does, yeah. it does make the point about what a close, closely knit school it is and, and just the connections that you form while you're in Bloomington. So Jeff Silver, who now works at the NCAA, Jason Kimple and Dan Roy, who are both partners at uh, Fager Drinker, Dave Tayson and Kevin Cloutier, who are both partners at, at uh, law firms in Chicago, were, were great friends who helped get me through um, law school. I also have a, I guess I have to call him Judge Lichty story. Um, Damon was our commencement speaker. And in, the, in, in his commencement address, he went full on Socratic method and called on me during the commencement address and asked me an impossible to answer question regarding Dante's Inferno. And I then like just in shock, stammered and stammered and stammered. And he quickly jumped in and said, unprepared as usual, Mr. Barreto, and then kind of moved on with the rest of his speech. Um, I've never got him back. And now that he's a federal judge, I probably have missed my window to go and do that. But that's, I certainly remember that, uh, that story. The entire graduating class remembers that story. Well, now I haven't heard that. You see, this is the great thing about these podcasts. I, um, I, I, have you guys heard the the legendary story of um, oh uh, oh who was uh, just went out of my mind the, the dark horse uh, uh, Wendell Wilkie who, uh, who whose speech was so controversial at graduation that the Indiana Supreme Court uh, uh, petitioned that the school not graduate him and so the faculty had to meet for two or three days and finally I think it was on the Monday they allowed him to graduate because it, it was so political I will now You're have kidding. to ask yeah no what year big, was that oh this is this is way back uh, in like uh, early 1900s um, how fascinating yeah but you know, uh, so he was what a presidential candidate in the 30s or 40s and then um, but anyway, so there's a little there's a little story about this in, in some old book. But now I'll have to add the Judge Lichty sort of story to it. I'll, <laughs> well, let's, Sip, I've got to say you're not a litigator, right? So you should be able to get back at the judge without too much worries. <laughs> <laughs> well, our firm has a has quite a big litigation practice, so I probably have to wait till one of us is retired before I. But just he should know that I'm lying in wait still. <laughs> 
Well, Gina, you know, you mentioned uh, Professor Schornhorst. I, I, you know, he unfortunately passed away a few years yeah. ago, but um, I, you know, he used to sit, I don't know if you knew this, at, at the same table or same seat in Nick's, uh, and he would often meet with students just around the corner. And so as part of his uh, uh, wishes, um, and this sounds kind of strange, instead of having a formal memorial ceremony in the law school, uh, we had an Irish wake at, at Nick's with his rugby buddies and uh, his family. And um, his uh, ashes were put in a beer stein uh, that is now encased in plexiglass above the seat in Nick's. Oh, wow. oh, and you gosh. could walk in and you uh, and uh, he was good friends with the owner. And uh, uh, I, I did not know him. I only met him a few times, but uh, um, but all his close friends uh, said that uh that this was a befit. There was a lot of beer drunk at that wake, and, and that it was a befitting wow. ceremony for uh, Professor Schornhorst. Uh, it was so yeah. for sure. We saw him over at Nick's, and I had I think I read that in the alumni magazine about the urn being placed there, or the beer stein with his yeah. ashes, and it fit him perfectly, right? So um, I thought that was really wonderful. Professor Shreve, I think, is another one that I really liked. Yeah, brilliant um, scholar. He's still in connection. He's not in Bloomington anymore, but still in connection with the law school and. And uh, what I understand is he's got a replica of his office. You remember there was all those masks and, and his office was pretty distinct. There's a replica now in Martha's Vineyard uh, where he lives. It looks identical to where it was here. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, I still remember the class where he was talking about, we were in Civ Pro and he was pre you know, previewing the next day's lesson and it, we were going to be studying a case that involves smuckers. And he always told these corny jokes and he's like, with a name like smuckers, it's got to be good. And that's how he would end his class. And it was just fun. He made it a very entertaining and fun. Yeah, I, I do think we've we've had some great faculty over the years. Well, part of this podcast is so that uh, listeners sort of get a sense on the variety of careers that uh, lawyers have. Uh, Gina, you're, I mentioned you're general counsel at Owens Corning. Can you describe your job? What do you do there? Uh, how's it different from other positions you've held? Absolutely. So I'm chief legal officer at Owens Corning, which, as you had mentioned, is a it's a global construction. Uh, materials uh, supplier and manufacturer. So we're in the industrial space, um, 19,000 different employees in multiple countries. My responsibilities include, I'm chief legal officer. So I'm a part of the executive team with the CEO, CFO, um, the CHRO and the business presidents. Um, so a part of the strategic executive team. So I do a lot of work with them, um, but I oversee the entire legal department and the global compliance that we have for the organization. And I also have responsibility for government affairs and uh, corporate affairs. So it's about a team of a little over a hundred that I manage across the globe and just make sure that we stay compliant and my executives don't get in jail. A quick follow-up. When you started law school, did you think you would be heading a company that big and, and such a large team? No, no. In fact, um, when I graduated law school, I, I wanted to be a litigator and I thought I would be a partner at a law firm. So that's what I started out doing with Baker Hostetler. And I think it's really interesting the the path that I took. So the journey and where I ended up um, and it's something that I would want to share with the students and alumni too, is that I don't think that there's one set path to get to any particular goal. I think you start out with a great skill set and you develop and you challenge yourself. And that's sort of what happened along my path. I mean, American Greetings, I started out a little bit smaller with a team, uh, started volunteering to take more work. And that allowed me to take on more responsibilities that were outside of the law department. Um, and that qualified me to become deputy general counsel at Nordson Corporation, which is a publicly traded company, 2 billion, 70% of the sales are outside the United States. And, um, and there I got to get involved more with the executive team and strategy and managing people and 
uh, coming up with some really good projects for our department and became general counsel and then moved over here. So that's a very quick summary of my path, but um, no, to answer your question, I never thought I would be GC of a company this large, especially. I fully expected that Gina would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's safe. So. <laughs> I, you know, I, but I think your advice is really good. I think a lot of students, when they're coming into law school, um, they read too many blogs and sort of stereotypical stories about what law is, and they view the path as very sort of, you know, you start here and, and then that's where you end up. And many people's stories are much more varied. And, and even, even if you're at a firm for a long time, your, your, your responsibilities change in ways that you weren't expecting. And so I think a lot of what we try to do now in law school is educate students about just how varied their career can be and how you're probably less thinking about one career as multiple careers as you sort of change over time and, and adapt. Um, Seth, that, that gets to you, right? Like you're, you're we've established that you don't like to upset judges, federal judges, which is always good advice for students, but, <laughs> but you're a corporate lawyer and you're, uh, we mentioned you're also a member of the global board at Squarepad and uh, Boggs. Uh, what does your practice look like and who are your clients and, and what does it mean to be a member of the global board? What is that? So my practice is, is primarily doing mergers and acquisitions and governance, uh, mainly for public companies. And because of the footprints of our firm, it's mainly cross-border uh, transactions uh, that involve mo uh, more than one jurisdiction. Um, I, I, I lead one of the hats I wear. I lead our corporate practice, which has 100 attorneys in the United States and 400 uh, globally. I like uh, a transactional practice because it's it's very collaborative. It's it's generally you're on large teams working on transactions. Um, it, you need to be solutions oriented. It's not scorched earth. Uh, generally speaking, you're looking for mutually beneficial uh, solutions when you're doing deals. Um, and I like the fact that you know there there is uh, you, you get a, a little bit of knowledge about a, a lot of different. Um, specialties, practice areas, and, and jurisdictions. I can issue spot in, in uh, when we're doing a deal in a, in a lot of different uh, areas and then turn it over to, to experts. Um, my, my clients, it's a pretty diverse, a diverse group. Uh, being in the Midwest, we do represent a lot of industrial and manufacturing companies um, like Lincoln Electric and other manufacturers that I could describe. But I also do M&A work for Procter & Gamble. I um, have represented an amusement park company, Cedar Fair, which operates um, Cedar Point and Kings Island and Knott's Berry Farm. I've, I've represented them for the last 20 some years, including acting as their general counsel during the, during the last six months or so as they, as they made a transition. Um, I represented and our firm has represented LeBron James since he graduated from high school and his, his foundation. And all these opportunities are things that kind of came to me by being at a place that, that it is um, you know, it, it's in a lot of different places. It, it gave me opportunities that kind of were far beyond what I could have expected when I when I graduated from law school. Um, the global board piece, it, it, I like it's it's uh, the twelve member board is the group that oversees the firm. So um, we make the strategic decisions and and um, we decide the compensation for the for the partnership group. And that's kind of what we're in the midst of right now. We've got four hundred partners, and and so that's a rather labor intensive. Uh, Process, but it has been very interesting to be in that seat over the course of the last couple of years, um, being in 20 different countries and navigating things like the COVID pandemic and kind of figuring out how to keep the business operating in 2020 and 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 achieving um, strong results in 21. Yeah, for both of you, I've got to think the last couple of years have got to be challenging. Just a lot of work as you're uh, trying to hold everything together in what's been a difficult uh, difficult environment. 
Yeah, definitely. Although I would say that there was a benefit to working from home and having our kids there and spending more time with them. Uh, I think the great thing that came out of the pandemic, I know we're still in it, but what, it was this great understanding that our work can be done just about anywhere. And uh, so for, especially for women who still bear a lot of the child rearing responsibilities, something that we've been advocating for a long time, flexible work schedules, remote work, uh, this was really proof that it can work successfully. So especially with my team, um, they have tremendous flexibility as long as they do their job and do it well, which has always been my position. For, for me, it was great because it was the first time since law school that we would, during the day, kind of be practicing and uh, right uh, across the desk from each other. And I had a really talented general counsel in the next office that anytime a question would come up, I could just kind of walk over and that was always very helpful. Yeah, I, I have to, I shouldn't reveal this. I had a slightly different experience. We, um, I started taking meetings at home initially and then my uh, two daughters and my wife said, do you think you could go back to the office? It's safe there <laughs> because I was talking fairly loud and they, <laughs> they, oh, I'm sorry. they, they, they uh, apparently if I'm on a uh, zoom at home, I can interrupt my daughter's Netflix uh, show. And so <laughs> I, I understand where the priorities are, but uh, no, I think, I think, you know, I think, uh, Gina, you're right that the, you know, the lessons of being able to work remotely, I, my sense from talking to a lot of lawyers, the law firms, it's a little more challenging as they're onboarding new lawyers, that the person who's been practicing for 10, 20 years, it's easy, um, but they're a little nervous about the culture issues about somebody who's just coming on. And so I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how law firms and and, and others uh, adjust over the next couple of years, hopefully as maybe at some point we get post-pandemic. Yeah, we'll get there. I know we will one day. Yeah. Well, I actually onboarded in the in the pandemic. I accepted this job and transitioned in the middle of a pandemic, which is kind of crazy um, if you think about it, right? Taking on an executive position uh, at a pretty large company and having met most of the people through video through Zoom. Uh, but the CFO did it as well, and you know I'm here and I love it, and it was a great decision. Yeah, you know we're. Um... In some ways, I think we've seen data to suggest that there's been more movement in the pandemic, maybe in part because it's also uh, maybe, uh, you know, people who were said, oh, it'd be too complicated to fly out to such a place to do an interview or whatnot just did it. And so we've actually seen quite a few of our alums have moved positions and then onboarded uh, uh, during the pandemic. And as you say, it's been really successful. It's, it's not what people expected, I think, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Gina, you've been really deeply involved in your community as much as you've been involved with, with these very large corporations, and you've done a ton to support uh, women and girls in STEM. Um, can you describe some of those efforts? I, you know, I'd love to learn a little more about Spark, and, and that just seems like an amazing initiative, um, uh, but, but love to hear about your experience in, in that area. Thank you. I, I love talking about it, so you'll have to stop me. Um, I know this podcast is limited in time. But, you know, I should say at the outset that volunteering and being a part of our community is a family affair. So it's very important about SIP and I, and SIP is such a great example for our kids and for me and all of the work that he does. But um, the Spark event was a conference that my friend and I constructed and put together, got all the corporate funding and executed with the objective of helping to try to close the gender gap in STEM fields. Um, there's a lot of men in it right now. There's not a lot of women. And when you look at the number of women who are graduating with STEM degrees, it's declining. And so the future pipeline is narrowing. Um, so we did some research and we found out that giving you know, girls interest in STEM drops about the sixth grade and doesn't bounce back like it does for the humanities uh, when they come into high school. So if you could target that age group, give them uh, access to female STEM role models, 
give them access to hands-on STEM experiences, you increase the likelihood that they will stay interested in STEM and pursue it at a later time. So we executed that first conference, um, impacted over 200 girls from the underrepresented communities in Lorraine and Cuyahoga County. Um, and then the next year we decided to partner with the American Heart Association, who was also putting on a STEM conference very similar. And we partnered with them and I was the executive chair for that first year. And what's really great is we've done it for four years. We are getting ready to do another one and we'll cross over that 1000th student threshold of students that we've impacted. And now that I'm in Toledo, we are going to do our very first STEM Goes Red um, with the lead sponsor being Owens Corning and we'll host it here on site. And our R&D center is down in Granville. So we're partnering with STEM Goes Red in Columbus as well. So I'm really excited to continue this work and really make that impact. Congratulations, that's that's fantastic. We've been doing a little bit of work uh, with women in IP, and we have a uh, we have an IP group that's dedicated to women in STEM, uh, trying to encourage. This is the really sort of you know hard to uh, you know uh, hard to do, but to have more women that have been in STEM to come to become lawyers because they can be so influential in the IP field. Uh, well, well, congratulations and thanks for all that great work. As you say, it's a major need, and and every little bit is needed to help to close that gap. Yeah, that's um, fun. Sip, you've also been really involved in your community. Uh, I mentioned at the start that you're chair of the board of directors of the Diversity Center of Northeast Ohio. What is the Diversity Center and, and what's your involvement there? Um, the Diversity Center is an organization. It's, it's uh, more than 75 years old and its mission is to eliminate, bi eliminate bias, bigotry, and racism. And we do that primarily through school and youth programming and workforce training, um, as well as advocacy. Um, we are in the schools here in Northeast Ohio, and, and every year we reach more than 10,000 students with programs that, that uh, teach um, anti-bullying and um, really helping um, students find their voices and becoming um, advocates for, for change and advocates and allies for each other. So I'm very proud of that organization. I've been the board chair for the last, uh, coming into the, the, this, or my sixth year in that, in that spot. And it's, uh, it, has, it is an organization that, that particularly, um, you know, coming out of 2020 and, and um, what happened and, and with respect to the killing of George Floyd, really it continues to be incredibly uh, Im important and to teach diversity, uh, um, e equity and, and inclusion training in, in schools um, is something that is really close to my heart. And I'm glad to have the platform through the career that I have in order to, to go and do that and bring attention to it. Yeah, but I, I think you both make really, you know, broader important points about, you know, I think good lawyers are people that are good community citizens, right? And what we try to instill in our students is that it's really important to do both, right? To have a successful pro professional career, but then also to be deeply involved. And um, I say that's true for somebody who's really public interest minded, right? They, they know they want to go into public interest career, but it's also true if you want to build your networks and make a difference in your community as a professional. And it seems like you both have achieved that balance really well. And, and, uh, um, doing incredibly important work. Uh, do you, I, I guess I should ask, do you think I'm right on that? That the, yeah. pairing the two is just critical to having a successful career? I do think, I mean, I think, and, I, and you make a really good point. I think that, that that coming out of law school, sometimes there's a tendency to think that the world is binary. And you and if you go to a big law firm or you go to some um, big company that you're, you, you, you know, your focus is not, you, you're not, it's not incumbent upon you to be part of um, making the world a better place. And, and, but 
you know, our, my experience is that that it's a platform and and there are opportunities and you need to seize those opportunities to go and, and, and do that. And got, I, I think it's it's fantastic that there's such a wide and diverse number of careers that folks can get get into. And I and I'm so proud of the public interest jobs that so many people within our class and, and who graduated from Indiana take on. Um, but it, it's all it's all our job to go and do that. And if you work for a big firm or you work for a big company, um, you need to do that as well. And yeah, and I, I echo that. I would say that for both Zip and I, what has been really easy about this is, you know, we both have pretty demanding careers. We have three children, but the work that we do, the volunteer work, we're so passionate about, it doesn't feel like work. I mean, Zip has been a part of the diversity center for as long as I can remember since we came to Cleveland. And there are other things like I really like to coach. And so I coached volleyball for many, many years, made networks and connections that way, but it never felt like work to me, it was so much fun. And I feel the same way about STEM. I mean, the STEM conference is one of my favorite days of the year. So, you know, my encouragement is people find something you love, something you're passionate about, and that's, that's how things fall into place. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with a student that I'll change it slightly, but they essentially wanted to do, you know, heavy corporate work in New York. And they're like, so why should I do you know, why, why should I do some of these pro bono projects, work for the protective order project or the wills assistance project? And I was like, because that's how you develop great skills. And, and, uh, and frankly, you'd be surprised, but a lot of the senior partners of the biggest firms are connected with these projects. And so if you want to get connected and you want to network, uh, even if you're doing it for totally selfish reasons, and I'm fine if you're doing it for selfish reasons, <laughs> it can be really, it can be really positive for your career. And then, as you say, if you can do something you love doing, then that's just, that's a win-win for everybody. So. Yeah, that's yeah, great I just advice. Built- just to build on, I mean, I, I mentioned doing work for LeBron. One of the things that we, we've done is to work very closely with his foundation and his foundation, which is uh, uh, supports the I Promise School. And they take a, a group of students in the Akron schools. And, and if you make when you make it through that program, you have a full tuition uh, scholarship. It's a program that the foundation, it's an incredible program, one that we play a small part in. But when I go out and talk to clients and, and, and who to see my resume, or that, they want to talk about that more than they want to talk about just about anything else. And so I think being a well-rounded individual who has a kind of a, a whole range of, of interest and doesn't just want to talk about um, mergers and acquisitions or something else that's kind of more, I, I think it, it's it really a, a it's, it's necessary in order to be a well-rounded person. And I think that I, I completely agree there. We may have to do an entire separate podcast just on you and LeBron James. I think that would attract students too, but we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Well, looking back, are there things experience, like we've just talked about a lot of them, but are there some experiences in your career that particularly stand out that were, you know, the cases or matters that you worked on or projects for the, um, for the companies that you worked for that sort of stand out and left an impression of something that you really feel passionate about. Uh, um, uh, Gina, why don't I, why don't I go to you? Sure. So uh, I, you know, aside from some of the other work I do, I do a carry as you climb uh, podcast with some friends. And we also have a group that we get together and the whole theory behind carry as you climb is that for women, as you climb your professional ladder, you've got to carry others along with you. So in that vein, um, one of the Things that I do, I'm an executive, excuse me, executive sponsor of the Women's Affinity Group. I was at Nordson and here at Owens Corning. Um, And I share stories with them about what I've done. And there was a particular story where when I was at American Greetings, I was chief litigation counsel. And I remember having a discussion with my GC and saying, you know, what would it take to be a general counsel? And she said, well, you need to do some of these things. Kind of gave me a couple of things to think about. 
Well, then there was an opportunity that came up at the board uh, that they needed to do an enterprise risk assessment of the company. And so I went to my boss and I said, can I do that? I have no experience in it. I don't know how to do it, but I'll figure it out. And she gave it to me. And then I ended up reporting to the board uh, on the results. One of the board members, the director, happened to be a director at Nordson, who then referred me or was a reference for me when I applied for the deputy general counsel position. So in my Carry As You Climb podcasting group, we always talk about raising your hand, uh, raise your hand for work. And it really can lead and, you know, lead to other paths and give you that, open up that door for opportunity. And I always think about that one particular event, because that really was the catalyst for me to start taking on more work, things outside the law department, develop and grow and uh, end up where I'm at today. You're going to have to send me the link to the Carriers You Climb podcast. I, I wasn't aware of that. You know, it really resonates with me. I, I uh, We recently interviewed Lori Robinson Hayden, who is a, I think, a 98 graduate. Yes, she and, is. And she did Corporate Women of Counsel, uh, which uh, really was sort of focused on the same sort of idea there. And then I recently uh, interviewed Erin Trance, who's up in Jenner and Block. And uh, she's the head of, or was the head of the Women's Affinity Group for Jenner, who's really doing some fantastic work on, on the same sort of concept of, of lifting all boats. Uh, but we should uh, we should promote your uh, Carrie's Climb, um, uh, and, and, and also Denise Torres, who's a 84 graduate, who runs a podcast um, and wrote a book, uh, called flip the tortilla she uh, she was from uh, north uh, northern indiana has a great story and uh, um, was uh, the highest uh, most senior woman at uh, uh, mcneil and johnson and johnson in there uh, for many years and is now running a mentoring consulting but very similar uh, anyway we should promote uh, we should promote that podcast that's amazing amazing stuff so how about yourself some experience that stands out uh, in, in your past or in your projects uh, like I, I got a feeling we might go through lebron james here again but i <laughs> But uh, things that stand out for you? Oh, I think it's hard to kind of hard to follow Gina's story on that. I just, I mean, I, it's hard to go and just pick a, a single thing out. I think we've talked a little bit about how this, how a legal career can go and lead to so many other opportunities, and it's just a platform through which you can practice law, but also you meet fascinating people and you have an opportunity to make an impact in, in the community I mean, through through organizations that I work on, Gina's in lots of different organizations as well. There's some lasting legacy things that other other people like LeBron and his foundation have done that we played a, I played a small part in those things. But I just, I just think kind of being part of that whole um, and, and group and the opportunities that come, they've only, they came from being a lawyer and and because of the background and and the opportunities and and what I you know have, have done kind of leading up to it and it and without picking anything out I just think it's that whole mosaic of things that you get an opportunity to do because of this this career that I think it, it are really uh you know it's it's beyond what I could have could have expected coming out of law school well I know there's a lot of hard work there though too and and uh and uh, well, I, and congratulations again. Well, look, if you, if you were to, you've given quite a bit of advice, but if you were to do it all again and you were sitting down talking to somebody who was either maybe just starting law school or just starting uh, their legal career and graduating, is there tidbits of advice you'd leave them with or something that you wish somebody had shared with you that, uh, that you wish had been conveyed when, when you were getting started? Um, Sip, why don't I start with you and I'll go to Gina? Yeah, I guess I'd say IU is, a, it's a fantastic legal education, but it's, it's really just the beginning of your legal education and kind of being out 20 years, I would say, I, I would tell grads to, to have a growth mindset um, and, and that, you know, your success is dependent upon, on, upon that. 
everything about you know, one's skills, one, the things that we think are essential are things that are not fixed. They're things that we can improve upon and, and curate and get better at. And you do that by taking on challenges, pushing outside your comfort zone and, you know, giving yourself some grace and being okay when you make mistakes, because those are the ways that you kind of, you, you grow and get, get better. So um, I think having that growth mindset and understanding that the graduating from a, a terrific law school like IU is just the beginning of your legal education. That's the advice I would give to folks. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Gina, how about yourself? That's really tough to follow, Sip. That's such great advice. Um, I would say that when I was in law school, I felt like I was told, and not necessarily by the school, this was just like a perception that you had to go big law or you had to do a clerkship in order to set yourself up for success in the future. And so my advice to the law students is that's not true. Um, You own your future. You've got a tremendous education at IU. You've got a tremendous network of alumni who are more than willing to help guide you, get you connections, get you networks, get you internships. Um, and so don't let that be a limitation for you. I really think that the world is your oyster. Don't get caught up in, you know, all the different labels that you get, um, and think that that's going to build up your resume for me. You know, you can, you, you cited a couple of things. I wasn't on a journal when I was in law school and I went to Baker Hosteller, which is a national law firm, but it's not, you know, as great and wonderful as SIPS law firm, which is international and one of the top 30 in the, in the nation, in the, in the world, actually, um, but here I am and I'm, I'm very happy in my job and I feel very lucky to be where I'm at and I love what I do um, because I think I had a really good skill set that Indiana helped me hone and I developed over my career. Well, I think that's both great advice. You know, I, I'm almost reluctant to do this, but talking about skill sets, Gina, like I was reading up on all the different things that you've done and, and I was reading the interview with the Crane, Crane Award of Business and and uh, there, there was a couple of other interviews. And then I saw this little tidbit that apparently you do a mean Woody Woodpecker impression. And I, I just couldn't let the interview go without asking you whether you can do that. Unfortunately, I can. And Sip <laughs> will have to attest to this. Uh, I, I'll try to do it for you, but it is rather loud. So your, your um, editor might have to do something with this. But for those of you who don't know, Woody Woodpecker is a cartoon from back when I was little. Um, and there was a, a woodpecker. And at the very end of the show, he had a very distinct laugh. And so it goes a little something like this. <laughs> okay, that is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. I, wow. Wow. That, yeah. that was terrible. I haven't done that for a while. I should have practiced. <laughs> I actually thought that was pretty good. I, um, um, I, you know, if there's so, so far, I don't know how many people listen to these podcasts. If there's anything that gets, that's going to make this go viral, I, I think you have just done it for us. <laughs> oh God. Well, thank goodness the video isn't a part of it because my face looks very contorted when I do that. Uh, well, Gina and Sip, it's been so great spending a little time with you on one more cult call. We're really proud of all you've achieved and we're, we're, we're proud that you're one of ours. So thanks for making the time and, uh, uh, and thanks for inspiring our current students. Thanks so much for having us. It was awesome. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Dean Parrish. Go Hoosiers. And thanks to our listeners for joining us too. Don't forget to follow us on social media at both at Austin Parish and at IU Mauer Law on Twitter and Facebook. And we hope you make plans to come back to Bloomington soon. Each year, over a thousand alumni come back to campus judging moot court or mock trial 
serving as mentors, or helping our students in other ways. We hope you will too, and when you do, please reach out. Until the next time, this is One More Cold Call, an IU Mauer School of Law alumni podcast.